You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group, Lavazza, and American National Insurance. I live in Chicago, and right about now, the leaves are falling and so are the temperatures. This makes me want to grab a glass of red, find a fire pit, and a cozy sweater. If you are looking for a wine recommendation, may I suggest the 2018 Hannah Cabernet from Sonoma County. If you prefer white wine, the 2021 Hannah Chardonnay is a great option. This female-led winery offers absolutely delicious options for your fall table. Great pairing with more savory dishes or to share a bottle with friends. Hannah Winery brings the rich and unique terroir of Sonoma County right to your home in every glass. Cheers, everyone. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by Lavazza. Four generations of the Lavazza family have been working to perfect the art of blending coffee since 1895 with a devotion to making coffee moments special. Signature blend Lavazza Classico with its intensely rich flavor and sweet aromatic notes is a celebration of the Italian way of life in every cup and is available any way you brew your coffee. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. Welcome to To Dine for the Podcast, where we meet the world's most innovative and creative minds at their favorite restaurant. On this week's podcast is Raja Rajamanar. I used to think marketing was being like cheesy con salesman. But then when you really get into the aspects of marketing, it's anything but conning your consumers. Mm. But it's satisfying their needs better than anybody else can Mm. with a good value Mm. provided to them. That is the Global Chief Marketing Officer of MasterCard, Raja Rajamanar, whose 30-plus year career has led him to be one of the most dynamic names in marketing today. He has authored the award-winning book, Quantum Marketing, Mastering the New Marketing Mindset for Tomorrow's Consumers. In a very special podcast, Raja joins me from his favorite New York City restaurant called Sema. Sema is the brainchild of Rani Mazumdar, and it showcases the cuisine of South India. I love your t-shirt, and oh, I love you. that you called your company unapologetic. So can you explain why? I think it's time we stop apologizing for who we are. 
And I think we have been doing that for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I moved to this country in 96 when I was about 12 years old. Growing up, I, I wasn't always unapologetic. Mm. I was quite apologetic. I felt insecure about what we cooked at home because it didn't really fit into what you saw all around you. So I told my mom not to cook them when my friends would come over. Mm. These were moments, I think, what we do, we suppress what a cuisine and a culture is all about and we lose context of that. So when you take all of that into account, I think in 2023, we shouldn't apologize anymore for something that we should actually be proud of. Ronnie's instincts were spot on, and he's now able to tell his story through the restaurants he creates and the food that is served every single day. There's no such thing as Indian cuisine. It's a cluster of many different cuisines together in one. So to be able to use such a broad stroke, it's a disservice to what, it's not just the food, but it's also, it ignores the people behind it. Yes. And I think in many ways, this entire endeavor has been about that objective, is that we exist, we're here, and we're here to tell our story. It's not, and we're just doing that through the vehicle of food. When Raja and I sit down to eat, we don't know the menu, only that Chef Vijay Kumar is preparing an array of Sema's greatest hits done vegan style per Raja's request. Raja doesn't know this, but I think at one point a tear rolled down my cheek because the dishes were so incredibly spicy. This is characteristic of South Indian cuisine. I was actually sweating on the backsides of my hands and wrists. Did you know that your wrists could sweat? <laughs> Either did I. Nevertheless, it was a joyful and fascinating conversation that takes many twists and turns. Please enjoy this conversation with Raja Rajamanar. So here we are at Sama. You have dined at restaurants all over the world. I know this, Raja. So why did you choose Sama as one of your absolute favorites? See, I come from a small part of India, in the southern part of India, which has its own unique cuisine, not very well regarded or known internationally, but there is something unique to it. And when growing up, that was the cuisine I actually uh, used to enjoy the most. And they say that there is something about flavors and how memories are evoked. Yes. And in my case, whenever I come to this place and the way the chef actually does the food here, it's probably closest to how my mom used to make those. Oh, wow. And uh, she's, of course, passed away 20 years back. But it evokes such pleasant memories about my childhood. And that's something which I really enjoy. And also, uh, you know, this is a food I really, uh, you know, uh, absolutely relish eating. And I'm a vegan. Mm. And there is a wide variety of vegan options that are here. And so it's a combination of all these things that makes this place for me by far the best for my dining experience. Oh, this is so wonderful to hear. On To Dine For, I always say that someone's restaurant speaks to their story and speaks to who they are, their culture. So true. It speaks to what they love. And you, you don't learn the whole story, but you begin to understand them a little more deeply through food. And you just really articulated that so beautifully. It feels like home, doesn't it? It does. It yeah. does. It really does. Your career has such a fascinating trajectory, but I always like to ask people when they were leaving college, who did they want to be and what did they want to do? What is the case for you? You know, before environment became a top of the mind subject for people, I studied to be an environmental engineer. You did? Yes. 
And I studied about how do you control pollution and air quality and climate and all those good things. And I wanted to become an environmental engineer and take that up as a profession. Frankly, the concern then was not to save the planet, but to prevent any damage to the planet. Mm. So with that, I also wanted to do my MBA because that gives me exposure to the policy side of environment. So I went to the prestigious Indian Institute of Management in Bangalore and uh, started studying my MBA in environmental management. And when I was going through that, what I found was uh, during the summer internship, I was given a project on logistics uh, with a packaged goods company in India called Lakme. It's a color cosmetics company. And I was sitting in a cubicle and my boss was in the next cubicle and he was having a meeting with the agency people. And I overheard the conversation, which strictly I was not supposed to, but I heard anyway. <laughs> so they were actually struggling because in southern part of India, which is where this whole project was happening, in those days, there was a lot of conservatism as to how women dress and present themselves. So if a woman, for example, was applying lipstick or any of the makeup items, it was not seen very favorably. Mm. They say she is trying to draw attention to herself, mm -hmm. which means her character is not good. Mm -hmm. It was an extreme interpretation. Mm -hmm. Now, I grew up with my sister, who was three years older than me. She would love to use the makeup. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so when I was sitting, they were struggling to figure out how to cut through the audiences and communicate the message that it's okay to use makeup and how do you convince them? So I said, why are these guys struggling? So I just took a piece of paper started writing. I didn't realize I was creating an advertisement. So I said, is it bad to look good? And a tagline. Not only were you creating an advertisement, <laughs> you were getting the tagline and everything in Literally. there. Literally. Yes. And then I said, branding. Look, you know, I said, you know, don't we dress up well? Don't we all, all want to really present the best of ourselves? And if makeup makes us look better, what's wrong with it? Why do we have this kind of a bias against people who do it? And I sort of wrote the whole thing. And then I went and presented it to my boss. And I, this was not my project at all. It was in logistics. Mm -hmm. So he looked at it and he was very impressed. And just as he was going through it, the chairman of the company, Mrs. Simone Tata, actually walked through. And uh, she saw this and she thought it was brilliant. And they released it as an advertising campaign. Mm -hmm. And it went on to win awards. Wow. So when this happened, I said, maybe I'm actually good at advertising. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so I started taking more marketing courses. That changed my career trajectory. I instantly sort of fell in love with marketing. I felt it was more second nature to me. Mm. Uh, because till then, I used to think marketing was being like cheesy con salesman. That's what I thought marketing was about. But then when you really get into the aspects of marketing, it's anything but conning your consumers. Mm. But it's satisfying their needs better than anybody else can mm. with a good value mm. provided to them. Mm -hmm. So that's what I said, okay, fine, this is what I will do. And here it is, 37 years later, mm. I'm still in marketing yes, and enjoying every day. And all of a sudden, the first dish appears on the table at Sama. On today's menu is... Kalu Rasam, which is a fiery tomato tamarind broth. The second dish is Mulei Katia Taniam, which is sprouted mung beans, coconut, and smoked chili. Then we had seasonal utapam, which is rice and lentil pancake, farm vegetables, and sambar. And finally, 
gunpowder dosa, which is a rice and lentil crepe, potato masala, and sambar. All right, so we are going to dive in here to the sprouted mung beans with coconut and smoked chili. And first of all, it looks like a work of art. It's beautiful. It is fresh, vibrant green. You can see the shaved coconut right on the top. And I am going to take my first bite, as is Raja. Mmm, spicy. Hit me, right? It is spicy. Yeah. If you see South of India, uh-huh. most of the food is extremely spicy. Uh-huh. And this food considers moderately spicy. Yeah. And it has got lime, lime or lemon, I'm not sure. But that dilutes the spiciness or the chilliness to some extent. And the coconut as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if you're willing to share what led you to be a vegan. And have you always been vegan? No, I have been a vegetarian mm-hmm. throughout my life. Mm-hmm. And is that for spiritual reasons? Yes. The concept was you don't kill an animal mm-hmm. to satisfy your hunger mm-hmm. when you have other options. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've been a vegetarian. All my family members said, uh, you know, from childhood, we are all vegetarians. Here for you, I have the kalurasa. So this is going to be a village style rasam, fiery broth, some tamarind on top. It's topped with mutal. Please enjoy. Fantastic. Raja, I'm going to follow your lead on how to consume this. Right. So basically, <laughs> this is not how we do it in India anyway. Okay. So firstly, when you're eating in India, you eat with your fingers. Mm-hmm. You don't use spoons. No utensils. No utensils. Okay. You eat with your hands. And number two... We give less importance to the presentation per se back home mm-hmm. as opposed to the taste. Okay. And uh, so what you do is you, whatever you get, you mix it up. Okay. So what, then, I, what I'm putting this into the broth. Into the broth. Okay. And you drink up the broth like you're drinking coffee. Okay. Coffee or tea or whatever. Oh, that's delicious. That is delicious. All of those delicious spices. Exactly. You can smell the you could the, ch- uh, the turmeric for sure. Turmeric is there. The curry. The curry powder is there. Yes. Garam masala. Garam masala. Exactly. Yes. That's it. But garam masala. Garam masala. One of the things you notice with South Indian ones are they are a little bit sour. Every single thing is made a little sour. Mm. Uh, like for example, when you had the that moong dal salad before, that had lemon. This has either lemon or tamarind. They're used mm. interchangeably. Mm. So if you have acidity, hyperacidity, it's bad to have this. <laughs> but on the other hand, if you have cold, if you have sore throat or whatever. So whenever you have got, uh, like right now, I've got my throat problem. Yeah, right? this is this perfect. Is so soothing. Yes, very therapeutic. Exactly. Oh, I, I sort of cut you off. You were talking about your journey to being vegan. Is your whole family Correct. vegan? Uh, me and my first son. Okay. are vegans okay uh my wife and uh, second son are vegetarians okay so at that time i was telling this meeting i had with the ceo of the agency who when i told him why i was a vegetarian and he asked me you know what about uh, milk i said you don't kill the animal right you're only milking it and using it so you're not harming the animal then he sent me some videos which were gut- which were really gut-wrenching mm-hmm. how the animals are treated uh, in the dairy farms, how they are milked, 
how they are artificially inseminated, the entire experience for the animal is horrible. Mm -hmm. So I said, I don't want to do anything with this. I'll stay away. And uh, so one fine day, hopefully, I would love to have my own cows, a couple of them, purely for the milk purposes, which, of course, will treat them very, very kindly. Maybe it is then I may take some milk product, but till then I'm not going to do any, any dairy or any animal-based product. Talk to me about the first couple of jobs that you had in marketing and what was the most seminal? What Was there one job where you felt like you learned the most from? Right. So my first job was with a company called Asian Paints. Asian Paints was a market leader, but interestingly, they never had a marketing department. Hmm. So I didn't know that. I was hired and the way it was sold to me was uh, on campus recruitment, that is. They said, look, you have an opportunity to be the founding member of the marketing department for this company. And it was a very well-reputed company. And here I was a kid out of the college, literally. I said, this is going to be fantastic. Uh, I joined and I was in the men's room. And next to me was one of the directors of the company who just walked in. He said, so you're the new guy who has joined us. It was in head office in Mumbai. I said, yeah. And I was very sort of enthusiastic. He said, look, we are actually the market leaders. We don't even have a marketing department and we are doing quite well. Mm. So how will you justify your existence? Wow, what a question. <laughs> and this was in the men's room. So I said, this is something crazy. But it actually set me thinking. I said, if these guys are already market leaders without marketing, what exactly then marketing does? Mm -hmm. I studied all the textbooks in the college and sort of understood the uh, fundamentals and the theory and the concepts. But in reality, it, without any of that, these guys have become market leaders. So I told my boss at the time, I was actually the founder Flunky, though they called me founder member. I was a founder Flunky. And I told my boss, and I had two bosses. I said, I would like to figure out what other companies do in marketing. Mm. So I started going from company to company and asking their marketing people, what do you exactly do? I was pretty shocked to see that not, not no two companies had the same role mm and responsibilities of what marketing does in their companies. Mm, it it's very company specific. Very, it was very company specific. They had their own definition. In some cases, it was all PR that they would call marketing. In some cases, they were doing a whole bunch of sophisticated stuff like the Unilevers of the world. Mm -hmm. So then I had actually the opportunity to create what I thought should be the marketing mandate and the role and the entire texture of how we will go about it at our company. That was something fantastic. Great learning experience and uh, no, straight out of the gates. The second I would say is after three years uh, with Asian Paints, and I had created a campaign myself, which went on to win national awards, and I was rated as the best marketer for the year. Mm -hmm. uh, this was three years into my career. Uh, it was extremely good. Thank you. And what I did was uh, I went to Unilever uh, to give a trial for a new kind of an exterior paint that Asian Paints has developed. So I thought, this is damn good. And uh, let me try it out in this company and so on. When I was doing the trials and I had an apron on and all that, I was very hands-on. The head of marketing for Unilever walked by. He was considered to be the god of marketing in India. 
So he just called me. So I said, maybe I messed up something. So with trepidation, I went to him. And uh, so he says, I would like to hire you. And it was quite an honor because Unilever was seen to be the gold standard in those days in India. And every person would love to join that company. Plus, more importantly, I wanted to have my parents living with me. And in Mumbai, as somebody who is three years into the career, you cannot afford your own accommodation. So these guys were actually giving me accommodation. So I said, that's fantastic. I can have my parents living with me in Mumbai, which is a big deal for me in those days. And so on that basis, I said, yes, I'll take the job. But when I joined the company, I was absolutely horrified when they said, you'll be joining first in sales. Oh, wow. So I said, look, this is not what you guys told me. <laughs> because sales, I always felt, was for the less intellectually gifted. They were more gifted by way of the gift of the gab. They can mm -hmm. talk, they can, you know, uh, work their way through. But marketing is more for the intellectuals, the creative types. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was intellectually superior. I didn't want to take it up. I tried to reason it out with them. And the head of marketing, he said, look, you can never be a good marketing guy if you don't understand sales and if you don't do sales yourself. And that was something which mm. I resisted. But I, by then it's already too late because I joined them. They gave me the accommodation. I told my parents they were coming over. So with reluctance, I accepted the job. So what did you learn from sales that has been so crucial to what you now know of marketing? I think the art of management. In those days, we didn't have mobile phones. I had a team of 1,600 salespeople dispersed around all of North India. I don't know if they are getting up in the morning and going to work in the market or they were just flaking off at home. There was no way of knowing. And you get a weekly report, this is the sales and so on. And it was marketing warfare on the streets. So in India, unlike in the United States, all the volumes in those days used to go through mom and pop stores. So you had to go shop by shop, knocking wow. the doors wow. and selling. And I had this massive sales force. How do you manage them? Right. How do you inspire them? Right. How do you get them excited to beat the targets? And how do you get them passionate about killing your competition in the marketplace? Right. Because we used to fight against like so Procter & Gamble, Colgate and all these companies. It was an extraordinary experience. And I think uh, the experiences that I had in terms of dealing with people and managing people, what it realized is it's not about administering them or even managing in the traditional way, but it is about building relationships mm -hmm. and connecting with them mm -hmm. and leading the troops from the front. So even after so many years, whenever I go to Delhi, our old team members, whoever is still alive, we all have a reunion. That's fantastic. And that's beautiful. It is. How, how, what did you learn in that particular job that helped you motivate and inspire such a massive sales force? What was it? Did, do you have any tips or insight you can share? I would say first is be truthful and vulnerable. And vulnerable. Don't pretend that you are God's gift to mankind. Mm -hmm. If you don't know the stuff, tell them you don't know. Mm -hmm. Ask them to teach you. Mm. And particularly if you are at a higher level than them and you are approaching them humbly mm. and ask them to teach you, they really appreciate you, mm. number one. 
Number two, don't sit in your office and command and control. Be with the troops. Mm-hmm. Be in the field. Be in the trenches, mm-hmm. day in and out. Mm-hmm. You will have a special empathy for what they go through. Mm-hmm. So they know that you are one of them. Mm-hmm. And that you understand what it means to pound the pavements day in and day out. And in a place like North India, the temperatures were horrible mm-hmm. in summer. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I found newfound respect for them. and what i used to think were well, these guys were all relatively intellectually challenged that's that's a kind of arrogance that you are template stereotype that you have in your mind mm. they get dispelled in no time you start understanding you start talking their language so you got a dose of humility absolutely yeah absolutely yeah. and an appreciation and a gratitude for what they're out and and how they're communicating the message that you're so carefully crafting absolutely a deep appreciation and a deep connection with them. Yes. There is a true genuine empathy and then you realize it's not a boss subordinate relationship but it's truly a team and a partnership. I don't feel like unless you do sales or you're in a scenario where you're trying to pitch someone it's in that those kind of moments that you really understand the importance of in-person connection and and how it happens one-on-one and one-on-one and one-on-one. So having said that, knowing where we are in culture post-pandemic and so many people want to work hybrid, they want to kind of call their own hours in their Lululemon pants. I might be one of them. How do you rally the troops to remind them of what you learned so many years ago on those hot days in India? See, firstly, uh the principles are the same. irrespective of the culture the human truths remain the same right so i have a team across the world not just here in the united states so one of the things is uh appreciate the situation that they are in mm. many of them for example they take care of the parents many of them they take care of their young children mm-hmm. so first thing is put yourself in their shoes mm. and ask yourself how can i make their lives easier mm. you know i always say there is a time to sell and there is a time to serve there's a time to sell and there's a time to serve correct crises are particularly the moments where you serve you serve your team as opposed to inspire them to do stuff mm. just be with them right don't don't toughen up and get back out there no. there's a time to have some compassion correct yeah so at that time one of the biggest gifts that you know we all had as a company we decided that we will not lay off anyone in the pandemic because as it is people are having so much of tension so much of uncertainty so much of anxiety and fear they are seeing their near and dears pass away mm-hmm. uh, or uh, seriously ill mm-hmm. on top of it you don't want to add a further uncertainty to say you may or may not have your job you might be uh sent off on furlough without salary and all that it can be really really destabilizing so one of the first things we said is push comes to shove we will pull back our marketing dollars mm. but not let people go mm. and then we went and told them you will not have any problem with your job security mm. take it off your mind mm. firstly that was a sincere gesture mm. number one number two Tell them we understand what your life is like. Your family should come first. 
than your job. So you have to take care of your family. And uh, so tell us how we can help. For example, let's not have meetings scheduled after 5 p.m. Mm. Let's not have meetings scheduled during lunch hour. Let's not have meetings before 8 a.m. or 8.30, depending on the regions. Don't have any meetings scheduled before then. Yes. And, and is that a policy that maintains today? Or was that in the midst of the pandemic? It was in the midst of the pandemic. So I guess my question is, from here we are, here we sit, you know, we hope that we are um, in a different place. Correct. So how, how do you bridge where we were to where we are and where you're going as far as the compassion, but people have gotten into thinking that that's the norm. So how do you get to the next level? So the point is, if you pull through successfully during the pandemic, that formula can continue post-pandemic. So this year, you have seen so many people being laid off by many of the technology companies, mm -hmm. like 10,000, 15,000, mm -hmm. 12,000. It can be devastating to people's lives. Mm -hmm. So one of the things what we have said is that that will not be where we will go. Mm -hmm. We'll be with our people. Mm -hmm. We'll go through it together again. Mm -hmm. And so we haven't done any layoffs. And so that's number one. Mm -hmm. Exactly the same thing. And secondly, we are saying that we do believe that you need to have the flexibility. The pandemic might have gone over. But during the pandemic, the productivity has been outstanding. Mm. The work didn't suffer. Mm. We gave them flexibility. We said, you work from wherever you are, at your home. If your dog or uh, cat walks in between you and the camera, <laughs> that's absolutely fine. Right. We are human. It's the new normal, isn't it? It's yeah. new normal. Yes. If your uh, kid is tugging at your uh, pajamas, mm -hmm. it's okay. Yes. There's no issues at all. Be respectful, be empathetic, yes. and realize that it's not about your packaging and how you present yourself in a meeting that matters. It's a quality of your participation. It's a quality of your contribution. So we are carrying that through even today. Yeah. So there's no change. So honestly, today I would say probably 80% uh, plus of the people are still working remotely. Hmm. You have a very unique philosophy when it comes to marketing. And I'd love for you to share a little bit of it. What inspired you to think so differently when it comes to marketing? See, a lot of who you are as a professional, it depends on how you have been brought up mm -hmm. as an individual, mm -hmm. as a human being. So we have been raised, me and my siblings, under this theory of karma. Karma is what you do to others will come back to you with interest, mm. good or bad. So be good to others. Mm. Be a decent human being. The corporate rat race is there. But try to win that race through your performance, not through politics, mm. not through your manipulation. Mm. Yeah, you might get ahead by manipulating and you know, get a short-term advantage. It's not worth it. Mm. It's just not worth it. Uh, and, uh, you know, be very truthful. And truth is always very liberating. Mm. And uh, so when you have these kind of values which you have in, uh, been inculcated with mm -hmm. in your upbringing, that's what you become as an adult. Mm -hmm. And then you're not schizophrenic in the sense you are one type of an individual in your personal life and a totally different type of an individual in your professional life. No, you are one person who carries through. 
And some of the things, like for example, I'll tell you, this is something which is fascinating. <laughs> If I can give a small story. Yes, please. In my very first job, mm-hmm. uh, I passed out of, as I said, one of the most sought-after, uh, prestigious management schools. It's like the Harvard Business School in the U.S. It was called Indian Institute of Management in India. So if you've gone there, you're seen as somebody who is a whiz kid. And when you graduate, you get five, six jobs on campus and you get to choose the job you want. Whereas that's not true for the rest of the people who might be as good as you. Mm. But they are in a different university. Mm-hmm. They don't get the same opportunities. But then in that environment, a little bit of it goes to your head. Mm. You become a little arrogant. Mm. You do become arrogant, right? So in my first job on day one, uh, I was in this small city or town. Samayarban, I would say, we had a nice fancy office and I had a proper office, not a cubicle, but a real office. Mm-hmm. And my boss had a bigger office next to me. And there were a whole bunch of what we used to call the clerks. Mm-hmm. These are the non-officers. They're at lower levels. They were all sitting outside. So I, and I had a fancy chair and I was sitting in and I was feeling good about myself. This is my day one on the job. And then there was an elderly person who was there outside and he was supposed to be my assistant. So I just waved at him and asked him, beckoned him to come into my office. Mm-hmm. So this, as the person stood up and started coming to my office, my boss actually taps on the glass and asks him to come into his office instead. I was confused. I said, mm-hmm. I asked my, this guy to come in. Mm-hmm. Why is my boss interrupting? And no, Because he's not my boss's assistant. And anyway, after that, that guy doesn't come to my office. He goes straight to his chair. And then my boss beckons me into his office. So I went in. So he says, Raja, just imagine a young punk, a young punk like you is sitting in your chair. And somebody like your dad is sitting outside. And this young punk thinks that he has conquered the world. just because he has been lucky enough to get into a prestigious management school and he's got a good job. Mm-hmm. And he is actually, instead of respecting and being deferential mm-hmm. to that elderly person outside, who knows a thousand times more than what this Gavin's begin to <laughs> exactly, understand, yes. both about life as well as this company and right. about this job. How would you like your father to be treated like that? Mm-hmm. Now, I was not being disrespectful to this person. I was only just asking him to come. Right. But he said, would you like to your dad to be treated like that, you know. I said, no. He said, thank you. You can go back to your office. That was a slap on my wrist on day one. But it stood with me forever. It's something which uh, was a wonderful lesson very early on, which is to really treat people with respect. And because we are all servants at the end of the day, we might be doing different jobs and different roles, but just because you have people reporting to you doesn't make them doesn't make you the master of these people. I think it's really interesting what you've just said on many different levels because my question was about how you are such an innovative marketer and what the response you gave was about your personal ethos and who you are as a person. And I think if we were to look at this from a macro scale, it shows how marketing really is the art of communicating who you are. Absolutely. So how do mm. you do it differently and how do you 
hope that MasterCard markets differently? So the first thing is marketing begins with the other people who you're trying to serve. The more you understand them, you will be able to notice the nuances better than somebody else, mm. your competitors. And bring those nuances into how you create products, how you create campaigns to communicate about those products and try to really stand out, mm. right? I'll give you one example. Growing up in India, we never had television. We only used to have radio. The good old days, Raja. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, I used to listen to jingles, right? Even now, I remember all those jingles very, very vividly. Now, when I get got into my job here at MasterCard 10 years back almost, one of the things I have said is that, why don't we have a jingle at MasterCard? But then the question immediately asked myself is, jingles have been around at least for 70, 80 years. The world has changed a lot. What will the jingles of the yesteryears be today? Mm. Is it a jingle or is it something else? Mm. And why is it that jingles are so effective? So then you start, I started diving into the effect of sound and music on the human feelings and emotions. Mm. And when I look at that, so my best example was I walked into one of the Bose uh, stores. Mm -hmm. They were still around, the Bose speakers and all those. So when I walked in, the guy was demonstrating. And when I started reducing the volume of what he was playing, and I was watching a horror film for a few minutes, it didn't feel scary. But you just start increasing the volume, the emotion gets amplified, the emotion of fear, anxiety, whatever. Mm -hmm. And at some stage, it drops off because you tune yourself out. Mm. So I said, this is fascinating. Mm. So I started digging into it, into the science of sound and music and its impact on human emotions and feelings Mm. and human perceptions. Mm. And it was eye-opening for me. I immediately understood why jingles work. But then, jingles are a narrow, narrow aspect of the entire spectrum of the power of sound. Mm. Now, again, back to my cultural roots, we have got mantras in India, which we believe have a lot of power. And when you look at those mantras and how it feels and so on, I started looking at the power of voice, Mm. modulation, intonation, Mm. the rhythm, So when I did all these studies, it took me nearly two years. I studied, I dove into the science of sound. Was this before you started at MasterCard or while you were at MasterCard? While I was at MasterCard. And it was the intention to to distinguish yourself and distinguish MasterCard as unique and different. Correct. Okay. So when I did that, I said, okay, I have got a breakthrough here. The breakthrough is, if you looked at the technology world, the world is going to smart speakers wearables, internet of things. All of these operate through the medium of sound Mm. and not the medium of vision. Mm. There are no screens, Mm -hmm. smart speakers. No, you are interacting with voice. Mm -hmm. How does a brand show up? And how can I as MasterCard show up? Mm. And today, if you look at people have five senses, 
when you talk of a brand identity, people talk about the logo. The visual. The visual. Mm-hmm. What about the audio identity? Mm-hmm. So that's how I came up with this whole concept of sonic. Sonic branding. Sonic branding. And I created a 10-layer architecture based on my learnings over the last two years at the time. Uh, and each layer adds a different texture, different depth and a different dimension mm-hmm. to how the brand can be brought to life and make a huge connection with the consumers. I'm going to stop you there because for for listeners who are, are wondering about sonic branding, if you use your MasterCard, you probably have already heard the MasterCard sonic branding. It is not a jingle. It is a pleasant, melodious sound every time you swipe. And you can hear it in taxi cabs. You can often hear it online if you make a MasterCard purchase. And it is it stays in the back of your brain that you just made a MasterCard purchase. Is Now, I have... I have an inkling that many people don't know the intention behind it or the purpose, but does it matter to you that they don't know? Yes. In fact, it is a process. It's a journey, right? Just imagine today, 84% of the people around the world recognize the MasterCard visual logo Mm -hmm. as MasterCard, Mm -hmm. even without the word MasterCard. Right. The two interlocking circles. Correct. But that has taken about 70 years to get there. Our sonic, we have started. We have It has a melody, which is the first layer. A very neutral melody, which is memorable, which is hummable, which adapts from culture to culture, which actually can adapt itself to different situations, like you know, if you're in an uh, energetic football match or you are at a romantic evening dinner, it has to cut through all those scenarios. It has to go across different genres of music. Mm-hmm. That's the first layer. Mm-hmm. Second, we have got a sonic signature, a three-second subset of our sonic melody, mm-hmm. which plays at the end of all our ads. Mm-hmm. Intel is, has got one of the best examples of that Intel. at the end of their ads, right? So we said that's an inspiration, and we have got our melody, right. which is the root from which we got our sonic signature. Mm-hmm. So melody is 30 seconds, sonic mm-hmm. signature is three seconds. A further subset, which is the third dimension or the third layer, mm-hmm. is the acceptance sound. Each time you swipe your mm-hmm. card, when you hear the sound of MasterCard, it starts making a connection mm-hmm. between the fact that you have used your MasterCard mm-hmm. and you are remembering, you are hearing that sound. Mm-hmm. And because it's a subset of the melody, it subconsciously starts reinforcing the connection mm-hmm. between the MasterCard melody and the MasterCard transaction. Mm-hmm. So, and then we have got seven other layers, and I'll not go into those right now. But the point is, the likability of the brand goes up. The impression about the brand goes up. People may not realize, but actually they start liking the brand. They started associating themselves with the brand Mm -hmm. because most of how we feel and the emotions are all subconscious. Well, I can understand something very simple, and that's familiarity. And when you hear that sound over and over again, you become familiar with it and it is comforting to you. Absolutely. Because we do like to do the same things over and over again, whether we know that or not. That's so true. That's yeah. so That's so true. And that familiarity and the kind of reassurance that you get that your transaction has gone through successfully, right. etc. So when we start doing all this now, already MasterCard has become the world's number one audio brand for the last three years in a row. And our audio brand is just four years old. Mm. So out of the four years of our existence, three years, we have been at the top of the charts. Mm. 
So that's one kind of an example, right? But the whole thing started from somewhere else. Mm. Understanding the science of sound, understanding the science of uh, voice and all these kind of things and understanding where technology is going mm. and trying to connect the dots and bring about a new reality for your brand. Mm-hmm. And that works very well. And uh, so like, for example, when I took over in my role at MasterCard, we were at number 87 in terms of the world's top 100 brands. Today we are at number 12. Congratulations. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, we are one of the fastest growing brands in the world. Uh, And uh, we have been consistently rated as a top riser, Mm -hmm. as they call it. Uh, and uh, it's going from strength to strength across all the regions, all the geographies in the world. And uh, that, that's really something which is very gratifying. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsor. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you, so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American national agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American national, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American national companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com slash dine. I live in Chicago, and right about now, the leaves are falling and so are the temperatures. This makes me want to grab a glass of red, find a fire pit, and a cozy sweater. If you are looking for a wine recommendation, may I suggest the 2018 Hannah Cabernet from Sonoma County. If you prefer white wine, the 2021 Hannah Chardonnay is a great option. This female-led winery offers absolutely delicious options for your fall table. Great pairing with more savory dishes or to share a bottle with friends. Hannah Winery brings the rich and unique terroir of Sonoma County right to your home in every glass. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. Oh, wow. Say that one. Powder dosa. That looks amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Look at that this crunch and this crackle. 
So this is some kind of a rice paste, uh, like a crepe mm -hmm. that's put on a pan, mm -hmm. and then they apply a chutney. Okay. The chutney is spread on the rice crepe, and then they do it both sides. Wow. And inside there is a stuffing of uh, potato curry. Okay. And uh, this is the kind of a what we call sambar. It's a lentil curry, lentil soup kind okay. of a thing. This is coconut and lentil, and this is lentil and tamarind. Fantastic. And you dip? You dip. Dip. Excellent. Oh, wow. That's delicious. It's comforting. It's warm. Spicy again. Everything here is spicy. Every dish has been spicy. And that's the coconut that I just tried. Wow. Really good. Your hashtag is priceless experiences and hashtag priceless. That has been a moniker of MasterCard that many people for a long time will be familiar with because everyone remembers the commercial word for everything else. There's MasterCard, That's right? right? And you've, you've deviated somewhat from that. Nowadays, so many different companies try to create experiences for their customers. But that campaign of being priceless for everything else, there's MasterCard, creating priceless experiences. MasterCard really led and pave the way when it comes to really putting a spotlight on creating experiences. But now so many people are doing it. So how does MasterCard differentiate themselves and how do they really own that space? So uh, there are three things when you think of experiences mm -hmm. that determine whether you're going to be successful or not. Firstly, what is unique about this experience? Mm -hmm. Number two, how many people can experience those experiences even? Mm -hmm. And number three, how expensive are those experiences? Mm -hmm. Meaning, when you're running something, is it affordable to you as a company? Mm -hmm. And is it affordable to the consumer? Mm -hmm. When you look at each one of these three attributes, firstly, to create the most unique experiences that, that stand out in people's minds, you need to be very creative. So we said, how can we create an experience that is extraordinary, mm -hmm. which we call that's truly priceless. Mm -hmm. So the first experience we created was a dining experience on top of a billboard in Times Square. I love this. Next to NASDAQ. I love this. Next. And so we put a table there for about 20 people. Mm -hmm. We had a Michelin star chef mm -hmm. who was serving a five course meal. Mm -hmm. And we said, we'll run it for three days as a pilot. Mm. So the moment we opened for bookings, the demand was so overwhelming. Mm. Straight out of the gates, we had to do it for seven days. Wow. The bookings were actually there for three months. But then, of course, the city has its restrictions as to whether they would allow it on an ongoing basis or not. But then we said, this is something which is fascinating. Mm -hmm. So we went into the culinary experiences in a big way and uh, started curating what we call as priceless tables. Mm -hmm. At any point in time around the world now, we have about a thousand priceless tables mm -hmm. happening all the time. Mm -hmm. People go there, the experience is absolutely amazing, mm -hmm. something unexpected and uh, something which is truly memorable. And you walk away with fantastic feelings and emotions. Last night, I was able to host a, a priceless dinner on the Upper West Side of Manhattan in a brand new restaurant called Essential by Christophe. Um, this is a Michelin-starred chef who has been working in the trenches of New York City dining for 20 years. This is his first restaurant. The MasterCard cardholders who came 
were just this amazing dynamic group of people who brought not only a contagious enthusiasm for just being in the moment. And I will tell you personally, post-pandemic, as someone who loves great restaurants, it was such a joy to just sit and be in the moment and enjoy this extraordinary meal and, and have an experience. You know, there was nothing cliche about it. It was a true experience. And there's something to be said for walking out of, out of an event or an experience or a dinner and feel something that you haven't felt in a while. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so culinary, we started those priceless tables. Then we went a step further. We started our own restaurants. Mm. So now post-pandemic, we restarted the restaurants. Mm. So we have one in Brazil, one in Mexico mm. City, one in Rome. Uh, and these restaurants are being rated at the top of the charts, so to speak. Yes. Now, the Brazilian restaurant was recently rated as the best restaurant in all of Brazil. It's wow, in Sao Paulo. amazing. It's called Priceless. The, the uh, restaurant's name is Priceless. There is MasterCard branding all over. Mm-hmm. Brilliant food. And they're constantly changing themes based on the Amazonian tribes and the forests and natural food. And it's got, it's amazing. Something to really dine for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I <laughs> love it. Absolutely, right? <laughs> I love it. And, and it's, it's fantastic. Like we have been trying to do that. We also started creating our own food items. So we created two macarons Mm -hmm. with ladure. Mm -hmm. And we are in the process of creating more foods. Mm -hmm. So getting into culinary experiences quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And like this, we started looking at those areas that people are truly passionate about. Whether it is in sports, whether it is in travel or shopping. Mm -hmm. What are the 10 areas in people's lives that they are passionate about? And can we do something unique Mm -hmm. and outstanding? And in doing so, we even acquired a company which specialized in doing the actual organizing of these events. Mm-hmm. So we bought that company, mm-hmm. which came with fantastic expertise to do things in a very flawless fashion, the execution, so the consumers have truly a delightful experience. That's worked brilliantly for us. So we, we try to sort of keep ahead of the game. If we can give just a, an example outside of food, uh, there is a, there, there, you know, from time to time we run this experience <clears throat> where you go to the Louvre Museum. Mm-hmm. After the museum has been closed to the public in the evening. And in the evening, you go with an escort and that escort will walk you around the museum in candlelight, electric candlelight. Oh, wow. And the highlight is you have a dinner with Mona Lisa. So there is a table laid out for you in front of the portrait of Mona Lisa, the painting of Mona Lisa. And you have a very good meal. There's an official photographer mm-hmm. who pictures both you and the Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. The food has to be cold because the fumes otherwise will destroy. Uh, you know, the painting, you cannot <laughs> afford to do that. And after that, you go for the night, you retire under the glass pyramid. Uh, the IMPI uh, designed glass mm-hmm. pyramid outside mm-hmm. of the Louvre and there there is a beautiful bed and all laid out for you mm-hmm. if you want to watch the stars you can watch the stars if you want privacy with one click the curtains close mm-hmm. now when people go for this and they come back they are raving about it to everyone that they care to you know whoever is there to listen to they are going to tell their experience mm-hmm. what that does is it gives us 
a kind of a word of mouth publicity that's mm-hmm. truly powerful. Right, word of mouth publicity. Absolutely. Yeah. So when we advertise for ourselves, we are talking about ourselves. Mm-hmm. But when you do these experiences, mm-hmm. it's other people who are saying, advertising for you. Exactly. Yes. And that is more believed yeah. than you tooting your own heart. Of course. So that's working very well for us. I'd like to talk a little bit about just ads. I know that you don't believe in typical ads that you see on television, mm-hmm. or at least you're moving away from them. Yes. The Super Bowl is, is in a few days. Does MasterCard have an ad in the Super Bowl? No. Okay. We do not. And that is intentional. Yes. Can you talk about where you're going? If you're moving away from ads, because people don't, either don't like them, don't watch them, there's data behind that. Where are those eyeballs going and where would you personally like MasterCard to get in front of? So what we are trying to say is that people are having experiences throughout the day. They're either watching something, they're reading something, they're eating somewhere, they're going out, etc. What we say is that in the world of advertising specifically, an average consumer gets exposed to anywhere between 5,000 and 10,000 commercial messages every single day. 5,000 to 10,000? Every single day. Wow. Which is humanly impossible to process. Mm-hmm. Consumers either let it just overflow, tuning themselves out completely, and they also find it annoying. Mm-hmm. If it is in a digital medium, they start putting ad blockers, and you have got now more than 600,000 people around the world conservatively who have put on ad blockers on their devices which means you cannot serve ads on those devices and why do you want to annoy people like if if they're actively telling you that they're annoyed let's find a different way exactly yeah. and put yourself in the consumer's shoes sure. now i for example i love watching videos mm-hmm. bollywood uh, dances <laughs> or animal videos whatever So I go on to say YouTube, and I'm watching a video. In three minutes or so, they rudely stop my experience, and they show me a stupid ad that I couldn't care less about. All I'm focused on is the skip now button on the bottom. I'm waiting for it to appear. Mm-hmm. So the moment it comes, I click it, mm-hmm. and then I start watching. but as marketers we have become so insensitive and disconnected from consumers we are desperate to come in front of consumers come what may so now they are serving me two ads at a time right the first one i have to suffer you have to watch and the I second have to suffer. you have a second choice. one i have a choice right. that is taking consumers completely for granted right we have to reinvent but you have to get in front of them somehow so where do you see that so lots of ways for example mm-hmm. you have got situations like find out if consumers are going to sports mm-hmm. be there mm-hmm. and not just slapping your name mm-hmm. which you also do because you need a reminder to consumers that you are sponsoring the event or you are also mm-hmm. existing mm-hmm. but be there in terms of enabling something for them mm-hmm. as an example we say here is a special queue for mastercard customers mm-hmm. if you go to arnold palmer invitational mm-hmm. as an example and you go to the merchandising shop You get a ten percent off the merchandising items only if you have a Mastercard. Mm. Now, what happens is you're not just telling about yourself; you're doing something meaningful and valuable to the consumer. Mm-hmm. 
we do it at scale. So I would say 70% of my entire marketing budget, conservatively, I have moved away from traditional advertising into this kind of experiential marketing. That makes a huge difference, number one. Number two, take things like how you reinvent your product and get into those spaces. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, a lot of it, what I do, I derive from my own personal experiences. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, she used to live with us. Somewhere along her life, she became blind. Mm-hmm. So me and my sister had to help her hold her hand and help her navigate throughout the house. Mm-hmm. And I used to feel very sorry for her. Because even when she's sitting in front of a table, we need to show her where the glass of water is. And we had to put it in exactly the same spot every time. Otherwise, she can knock it Knock it over. Yeah. And then there are, you know, where the food is, what items are there on the plate. It's quite a a, difficult scenario. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward to my role. One of the questions that somebody asked me from my finance department. I said, Raja, how do people who are blind use their cards? I said, oh, hell, why did I not think about it? So we started studying. You know, it is a very difficult experience. Mm. Because all cards look and feel the same. And because most of the cases, there is no tactile sensation to the cards. Mm. The embossing or the raised lettering is actually disappearing. So a blind person cannot distinguish one one card from the other. Mm. They don't know if they are holding the right side up. Or if it went through. And if it went through, right. it's, it's all crazy, right? So we said, how do you solve Enter this? Enter the sonic branding. Not only sonic, there was another beautiful thing we have done, which is, we call it the touch card. Mm. Now, how did my grandmother navigate when she didn't have eyesight was through touch. Mm. She would feel the things around her mm. and feel her way through. Mm. Same thing which happens for the blind person today with the credit cards or debit cards or whatever the kind of cards. Mm. Now, how do, uh, in order to help them make it, the first solution I thought is why don't we put Braille? Mm. If you put Braille lettering yeah. on the cards, they should be able to know. But guess what? Less than 10% of the people who are blind know how to read Braille. Oh, really? Less, Less than, than 10%? 10%? I did not know that. It's, it's a very sad uh, statistic. We worked with the Royal National Institute for the Blind mm. in London mm-hmm. and Visions, who also works for blind people in the United States. And we said, wow, this statistic is scary. So how do you find out? Mm -hmm. So we then came up with a simple system of putting a small notch on the right-hand side of the card. So if the notch is on the right-hand side, which means you're holding the card the right way, Mm -hmm. the shape of that small notch tells you if it is like a V shape, it is your prepaid card. If it is like a semicircle, it's your debit card. If it is like a half hexagon, it is your credit card. If it has a notch, it is your MasterCard. Wow. In one single thing, stroke, with single notch, you can get the whole thing. Now, what happens when we did this? It is now the people, the blind people, the blind associations, the blind schools, uh, and parents of blind children. These are the people who are talking about it. Mm. I don't have to advertise. Mm. They are really saying, because this is a meaningful product, Mm -hmm. it stands out. Mm -hmm. And they don't need to communicate anymore. Mm. You seem like someone who's constantly studying and learning. And I was, I'm really curious, as you move through the world, in the past 30 to 60 days, has any marketing grabbed you? 
have you taken note, and it doesn't have to be a direct competitor, it could be anyone, that has said, wow, now that is good, that is genius. I would not say uh, any marketing campaign per mm -hmm. se, but a marketing capability, mm -hmm. which, which really was very inspiring to me, mm -hmm. which is ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. And using ChatGPT, uh, Ryan Reynolds has mm -hmm. created an ad, mm -hmm. uh, which was very impressive. Mm -hmm. The ad was not by itself mind-blowing, but the way the ChatGPT created that ad was mind-blowing. Why? Because you don't expect a machine to be so natural in its depiction of its language, the message, mm -hmm. and the format in which it was asked to deliver. Mm -hmm. It said it has to be a rude word in it. There has to be a joke in it. And he has given five or six different criteria. It fulfilled every single one of those criteria. It was fascinating. And I wrote about this interestingly in my book, Quantum Marketing, mm -hmm. two years back, exactly mm -hmm. the same thing. So for me particularly, it was delightful to see this is now coming to life, just as I have predicted. So it's very good validation. And I think it is probably ChatGPT is the fastest adoption rate that any, any launch has seen. 100 million unique monthly users in less than two months. Wow. Which is extraordinary. Wow. So as a tool, yes. it's extraordinary. Yes. But if you see... The owners of the company, the founders of the company is AI, open AI. Yes. Without a single advertisement, mm -hmm. they have gained 100 million consumers in two months. That is the power of really addressing a real human need. Mm -hmm. This to me was the best marketing. Mm -hmm. Do you have daily rituals that you're willing to share? So the way it goes is like, you know, uh, in the morning, for example, when I wake up, I start off with meditation. Mm -hmm. So the way it, it is, I do about 20 minutes of yoga and breathing mm -hmm. and then 20 minutes of meditation. Mm -hmm. I go have bath and then start my prayer. Mm -hmm. The prayer is done with water. And so you take spoonfuls of water into your hand mm -hmm where you hold it in a way where you are you know, bending your index finger forward and you cup your palm. Okay. You take the water in it and you chant the mantras to this particular water in your palm, which is supposed to energize this water. The mantra energizes the water. Energizes the water and then you drink the water. Ah. And there is a sequence in which you do the mantras. So there are different mantras. Like for example, you say, let this water be the bearer of peace and then you drink it. Mm. Then he said, let this water be the bearer of health. Mm. Let this water be the bearer of humility, mm. compassion. So there are various things that they talk about. Mm -hmm. These are all basically the good human qualities you need to imbibe. Mm. And actually, it does something to your psychology. Mm. Whether this water gets any energy or not, who knows. Uh, as per current science, we well, don't. What, does, what do you think it does to your psychology? It grounds me. Uh, puts things in perspective. You don't get carried away one way or the other. And you also there is a sense of a reassurance that there is something which is like a higher power mm. that you can always turn to for help mm. should you need. Mm. It, I, th I think it's, it's a beautiful philosophy if you were to see. And, uh, you know, I, like for example, uh, right now, unfortunately, my dog is going through brain tumor. 
Oh, I'm so sorry. I know. She's eight years old. Uh, what is her name? Kimia. 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 Oh. It's, uh, she's a Rhodesian Ridgeback, eight years old. And she has brain tumor. So normally to deal with these kind of situations, you try to find some kind of anchors. Every individual finds some anchors. Yes. So I find it in the religion. in the Not the religion, but in the mantras, in the rituals. So what we try to do is, we don't pray to extend her life. But we say that, make her journey easy. Either in this life or from this life to the next life. Mm. The whole idea is saying that you know, all of us eventually, we are in a temporary phase in this world. Mm. We all have to leave our bodies and go. Mm. And we do believe that there is a higher consciousness with which you merge. Mm. And uh, so if the time has come, everyone has a time. When their time comes, they leave this body. They go off to the higher plane. Mm. So you don't, uh, while you miss the person or you miss the animal, they're going to a higher plane. So you should feel good about it. And also it gives you a sense of hope mm -hmm. that one day soon when your time comes, you will go and meet your buddies there. Mm. It's a nice feeling. It's comforting thought. And uh, therefore I keep saying there is a level of psychology in this. Yeah. And But it's, I find it very useful. How do you feel like your faith affects your massive role as a global CMO of one of the most recognizable brands in the world? And how does it help and inform you moving forward as you create a vision and deal with all of the problems and issues and negativity that comes your way, I'm sure, on a daily basis. Yeah. So what happens is when you look at the philosophy, we talk of the theory of karma, right? What you do to others will come back to you with interest in this life. That's number one. Number two, do your work diligently, sincerely, honestly. But remember that the results are not in your hands. Mm -hmm. What you can control, do your best. Mm -hmm. What you cannot control is the higher consciousness which will decide. Mm -hmm. So what I keep telling my people, when you translate it to your business context, serve people well. Mm -hmm. If profits are meant to follow, they will. Mm -hmm. And that has been working for 35 years. Mm -hmm. So what I find it is, it's it's profound. Yeah. If you start with profits, if you start, because we are not a philanthropic organization, we are not from Mother Teresa's organization right. or the International Red Cross. We have got professional, I mean, profit goals. We have got growth objectives and all this stuff. I said they are real. We cannot be oblivious of them, but that is not the starting point. That's a result. Thank you for being so transparent uh, about who you are and your faith and what you believe, because I really think when you're able to share who you are and your authenticity, when you're unapologetic about it, you invite others to do the same and to also to identify what their unique strengths, superpower, beliefs, faith, and it helps guide others who are listening. And that's the very essence of why I do what I do is so that people can learn from others. They're happy to share. If you had to describe a day, your favorite day in the past year that you've experienced? What were you doing and why was it one of your favorite days? See, my favorite day, if I see, was actually doing some lectures from my book mm. to both executives of 
other companies mm. as well as to the students of so some teaching. management schools. So teaching, you love yes. teaching. Yes, I do. And why? Do. Why do you love it so much? I think, you know, there are two things. Firstly, I want to share my perspective and whatever knowledge I have gained. Mm. Because if you don't, and people have been very selfless when they have been writing books, and I learned everything I did from people mm. who have been kind enough and generous enough to share. Mm. So I think I have to pay it forward back, number one, forward. Number two, I think it's, you know, I feel very grateful to this profession that has given me so much of joy, put my daily bread on my table, so to speak, and mm. give me my livelihood, which is marketing. I'm very committed to the craft of marketing. And marketing has been sort of getting a little weakened in organizations and has been losing, getting into a little bit of an existential threat in organizations. Right. CMOs are being dropped. You, some companies are not doing the CMO role. CMO roles at all. Or they're calling it something else. They call something else and, then, and those people are not even marketing people and so on, which is a pity because this function can single-handedly change so much for a company when done rightly. Mm -hmm. Plus, in future, when technology democratizes competition at an unbelievable level, mm -hmm. the smallest player can give a tough time to the biggest player in a given field. Mm. The differentiation is going to come from marketing. Mm. So, so marketing is hugely purposeful and I want to really build and contribute to the future generation of marketers. Experts say that we are you know, within 18 months of a recession. That's what's being circulated. And very often, the first thing that's cut is the marketing budget. My question is, as MasterCard looks forward over the next 18 months, are you cutting back on the marketing budget? And what do you think should be, if you were teaching a class, what do you think should be the MO of people moving forward, knowing what we know about what's possibly on the horizon? So firstly, we are not cutting, we are not cutting budgets, clearly. So which is a good news. The ammo that people need to have, I would say are three things. Number one, People outside of marketing don't understand your language. So don't speak in marketing jargon, but help the CFOs of the company, the CEOs of the company to connect the dots between marketing actions and the business outcomes. Mm -hmm. When they see that connection, they immediately become total converts to marketing. To be able to do that, you need to understand finance. You need to understand how your business makes money. And you need to speak the language of these folks. You have to be a superb family. communicator. You have to be. Yeah. Otherwise, if you are talking to yourself in a marketing speak or marketing jargon, they will write you off very quickly. Mm -hmm. That's been one problem. So that's one. Second, in this day and age, marketing has evolved to such a great level that people can really establish credible return on investment on the marketing investment that they made and you can demonstrate that when i came to mastercard candidly there was a big question mark about where the marketing dollars were going and what was it accomplishing right. if at all right. so the first thing i did is i went to my cfo and i asked her say the, no why don't we put a, a finance person within marketing so we hired a CFO who deal reported it to me and to her. And this individual brought a level of credibility on day one. Mm. Because 
finance people understand him or understand her rather it was a woman mm-hmm. and she spoke their language mm-hmm. and i was educating her on marketing so she was a brilliant bridge she was reporting to me and to her mm-hmm. that really built the bridge between marketing and finance very solidly mm-hmm. which is rock solid even today mm-hmm. so if i have to tell this is a campaign i have run and this campaign had a return on investment of 2.1 dollars return for every dollar i spent mm-hmm. nobody is suspecting that or doubting it mm-hmm. because it's a finance person who is diligently doing it mm-hmm. and the methodologies are absolutely robust mm-hmm. i think marketers have to really get into those aspects quite a lot mm-hmm. and to win the confidence of their boards of their ceos and their cfos what gets you really excited right now as you think of the next year ahead for mastercard and this is a chance to share something that you personally are working on or something that you're excited to work on so first and foremost i think we are uh, trying to see how we can unlock the potential of marketing leveraging the full strength and possibilities of technologies mm-hmm. like artificial intelligence mm-hmm. augmented reality mm-hmm. autonomous driving vehicles mm-hmm. internet of things wearables mm-hmm. blockchains the web3 i think that's one thing which is hugely exciting because right what happens is suddenly your canvas becomes so much richer when you are trying to paint something right so that's something which is very very exciting what i'm also very excited about is there are new methodologies that are coming about in behavioral economics and in neurology mm-hmm. that will give you profound insights mm-hmm. into people's way of thinking and feeling mm-hmm. you know currently for example if you ask uh, you know oh, why do you like this particular dish or why do you not like it you can say yeah this is too much of sour or too much of spice or too little of it or whatever else it is there but when you ask a person why do you like this shampoo better than the other shampoo mm-hmm. most of these happen in at a subconscious level the smell you know or the texture or the market you, maybe even the branding that you don't even know that you love or you're drawn to the color exactly yeah. there's so many things yeah. but when you ask a consumer they have to post rationalize mm. why they're choosing one mm. versus another and that is a fundamental flaw in market research today mm. and we have an opportunity to reinvent marketing completely whether it is market research mm-hmm. advertising or uh, it is how we look at purchase funnels it's totally shattered uh how you actually leverage technologies so in fact what i'm excited about is we're going to take quantum marketing really to the market and i think over the next 3 years it's going to be transforming and that's what i'm very excited about and like i said before the theories and the hypotheses that i have written in my book mm-hmm. are all coming to be a reality mm-hmm. and that's very validating for me mm-hmm. and most recently i had a, a beautiful discussion with who is considered to be the father of modern marketing philip kotler mm-hmm. it is his book that i have studied in my mba mm-hmm. and learned my abcds of marketing so it was really wonderful to sit with my original guru so to speak in that mm-hmm. space and we had a you know uh, in saratoga in uh, florida and uh, we were going through the concepts of quantum marketing mm-hmm. and he gave me such a beautiful note afterwards mm-hmm. saying that this is where the future is going mm. and uh, i i felt particularly coming from my teacher as our call it was extraordinarily exciting and inspiring so i am energized and <coughs> take this quantum marketing forward and bring it to life mm-hmm. both for my company mm-hmm. which is mastercard as well as 
you know, help my peers and help other companies. Because again, it's less about competition and more about for the craft of marketing. I love that. You were in the throes of the balance between being a purpose-driven company, but also being a company that is very clear about the values and what the company does. And sometimes that's hard to balance. Yeah, so values, you never compromise on. Mm -hmm. You can tolerate things like inefficiency, but you don't tolerate lack of integrity, for example. That's a fundamental human value. And uh, we try to live those values every single day. I, that's why a strong culture based on goodness and to do good is actually coming about. Right. This is something which my previous CEO had started literally saying that, you know, we talk of IQ and EQ as formulae for success uh, in the corporate life. But I said, what is missing is DQ, decency quotient. Mm. So we should I love be, that. We should be decent people first and foremost before being excellent professionals. Mm. That, I think, is the guiding North Star, so to speak. As far as the short-term uh, pressures are concerned, they're always there. So what you try to do is to make sure that you don't give up on your purpose because of the short-term pressure. Consistently sticking with your purpose in times good and bad is critical. So if you look at, for example, things like we started more than 10 years back, right? our association with Stand Up to Cancer Foundation. Yes. And we are partnering with them ever since. And every year we run this promotion where we say, if you spend or use your card, MasterCard, at such and such a place, like restaurants, for example, in the United States, in those eight weeks, we will contribute a part of our profits to Stand Up to Cancer Foundation. So we raised more than $60 million till date. But more importantly, we channel those dollars to do research to find new cures for cancer. That is driven by the foundation. So they hired a lot of scientists and all that, and then they do a phenomenal job. So, so far they have come up with eight drugs for cures of different types of cancer, wow. which have been FDA approved. Eight drugs. Normally it takes 12 years from one drug and in 10 years, we have got eight drugs. So look at the way it runs, right? So we've been trying to help as much as we could. This is not pure philanthropy. So when I said, when you pursue your purpose, profits will follow. Mm -hmm. In this case, what happens? Whether the environment is good or bad, people eat. What happens is when they're eating at a restaurant, instead of using some other card, they start using MasterCard, which means my market share goes up. Right. So, for example, in the first year that we have tried this, and we have been doing it ever since, the restaurant category was growing at about 8%. When we ran this promotion, MasterCard was growing at 14%. After the promotion got over, it came down to 9%. But again, net 1% growth, even after the promotion has ended, mm. and they remained at that level. Mm. So what's happening is by doing good, we are doing well. Mm. So the key to us and to my philosophy is that you cannot distinguish purpose of the company away from short-term pressures, meaning that irrespective of what happens, you need to adjust your tactics. Your North Star remains the same. Your strategy has to be adjusted. 
but you don't deviate away from the north star mm. your purpose remains constant and steady when you are committed long term against a purpose or towards a purpose you will start reaping the benefits quite well but if you start being doing purpose for political correctness or to give sound bites for your ceo to make at conferences it's not going to work right. you got to be genuine you were brought in to be the role that you're in at mastercard for a very specific reason and you have definitely made your mark at mastercard what have you personally learned since you took over this job because i'm sure it was this has not been an easy journey i think firstly the last 10 years i've been in extraordinary learning journey for me mm-hmm. learning new things about subjects whether it is technology or different kinds of sciences and all those things on one level second learning about teams and people across the world in different cultures right. how they come together at times of crisis pandemic was a extraordinary kind of a crisis and we had actually been able to pull through it very nicely right. huge learnings of how people actually behave in in times of crisis and how they stick together and how they respond to different kinds of interactions and so on that's true the biggest another biggest learning is businesses can truly make a difference to society it is again as i said businesses should have responsibility just beyond the perimeters of their organization like i'm so happy that for example 2 years back i believe now the ceo round table or business round table has said that they would adopt in terms of serving all stakeholders not just shareholders i think that is something which is really taking some kind of momentum getting some momentum across the board mm-hmm. which is beautiful to watch and the impact that we can collectively create is mind blowing mm-hmm. it's truly mind blowing mm-hmm. and is that something you learned since you've been at mastercard is that something that you came into you know the your zeitgeist since you've been here like you didn't know that prior to like that really hit you as a concept it was there right but as a practice mm-hmm. i saw it manifest here you did and how did that change you it gives me more energy yeah to keep being even more yeah with lots of enthusiasm and passion yes and energy yeah yes Hello, how are you? Hi, how are you? So nice to see Good you. Good to see Thanks you, Aisha. I was never thinking so. It's Wonderful. amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Not at no, all. No, 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 all. We're having a moment with all this delicious food. <laughs> you come at a great time. Awesome. Please explain what we have in front of so us. So this is Kalkaigiri kurma, which okay. is a farmer's market vegetable kurma. Okay. With, uh, um, caramelized onions, tomatoes, and spices, and coconut milk. Okay. And it's served with a vegan kalbosa. Okay. It's like a slightly thicker version of dosa. Okay. So in between uttapam and dosa, it's a slightly thicker version of dosa and then coconut milk. Oh, this looks great. This looks great. I'm I'm really curious because your position puts you in a lot of really amazing mountaintop experiences. Has there been one that stands out for you since you've had this job that has been a pinch me moment whether it's been in the presence of a, a athletic event or of greatness or of a celebrity or been in a scenario where you're like wow so the most compelling thing for me actually if i can say i'll say two the first one is i went to 
a tournament called Copa America, which is a soccer tournament, happens in Latin America. And all the world-class people like Messi, Leo Messi, and Neymar Jr., all these people are mm-hmm. there competing. I went there uh, to attend the finals. And uh, then I was asked to present the trophy. You the, did the presenting? I did it. That was mind-blowing. It was my. It was... It was two minutes glory, so to speak, mm-hmm. but a lifelong memory. Yeah. Lifelong memory. It's extraordinary. I, I felt so, so good about it. I, and, you know, being amongst those you know, stars, literally, these all the world-class soccer stars, and being in the midst of them, literally shoulder to shoulder, in terms of, you know, we're all there within the same space. It's a pinch me more saying that literally, I'm really here with these yeah. guys. Because you used, I, I, I would idolize them yes. from a distance. Suddenly I'm with them. Yes. And you're presenting something that means so much to them. Correct. Yes. It was extraordinary. That was one I would say. The second thing is, I would say, I went to Cannes Film Festival. Mm-hmm. I was asked to be on a panel, mm-hmm. fireside chat. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'll go for a fireside chat. Yeah. And then I had Halle Berry, <laughs> who was doing the fireside chat with me. <laughs> Right? And uh, you're like, how did I get here? It was extraordinary, right? Yeah. And, and in both these cases, it was being in the company of those people mm. who you saw them either on the screen, television right. screen, or in the movie screen. Right. And they're so distant from you anywhere. Yes. But suddenly sitting with them and having these conversations, and it, it's, it's a very, inter- inter- very inspiring kind of a uh, feeling. Yes. Seeing that this, this is extraordinary. And if you can say one more in a very different way, this yeah. is fantastic. I went to South Africa mm-hmm. and in South Africa, there is a rescue park mm-hmm. run by the government where they protect some of the abandoned lion cubs. Mm. They raise them up to a level and they once they're able to defend themselves, they let them out into the wild. So I went there and there were three lion cubs that were there and I was there with those guys, truly priceless. I. I'm a big animal, animal lover. lover. I can tell I that. I love them. I adore them. And I would do anything for them. So these guys, they were just like little puppies. They are no different than a you know, baby dog or a baby human being. Very interactive, very curious, and then a very cute kind of behavior and all that. You know, normally you don't sit with three lions and or lion cubs right. and then look at them. Right. It's a rarity. It is a rarity. And yeah. it's such a... No, it's a, I would say really, truly, you know, while it's, it's priceless, it's, it's truly priceless. Yeah. Uh, I cherish that moment. You know, it, it was so beautiful. Mm. That's something which I again, found as experience, which, my God, this is unbelievable. Those are great answers. I, I, <laughs> I didn't know, sometimes you, you, you try different questions and you're not sure. And that, that was a really great question for you because you are in priceless moments all the time. You know, not only do you create them for others, but you are a part of them. Yeah, I feel very blessed. Yeah. It's really a blessing. Yeah. What have you not done that you'd like to do? Because in the world of marketing, you sit in a very, uh, as you said, blessed position. You know, there's really, I don't want to say there's nowhere to go because there's always places to go, but you are really at the top. So personally or professionally, what have you not done that you would like to either do or accomplish? I've got a little laundry list. <laughs> One, I want to start someday a vegan-only online store. 
Really? Everything vegan only. Mm. From your shoes to your clothes, like no silk, right. no leather. Right. No, no. So completely, and of course food, authentically vegan. Mm. Something I want to start, okay. which I haven't done it now because I got a full-time job. Right. You got a few things on your plate. That's something which I'm absolutely going to do. Okay. Or be a part of if somebody is going to do it. I would love to be a part of it. That's yes. one. Second, I want to really become very active in the world of fighting against cruelty against animals. Mm. I think nobody has given us the special right to destroy the animal worlds, whether it is their habitats, we destroy them, uh, or whether we destroy them themselves, or we ill-treat them, we have no business to do it. And I am going to fight it very actively and use every bit of my marketing knowledge to actually do that. And it's very complementary with your first goal. Yes. Yes, I really want to do that. And the third one I would say is, I want to start homes for elderly people, mm. where if they cannot afford, mm. any person, when they are in their most vulnerable stage in life, which is their old age, yeah. they should not be fending for themselves. I have seen with my parents in their old age, my dad lived up to 19 and a half years. Did he really? He did, wow. and he used to live with my sister in India. Mm. And my sister took excellent care of him. But I could see some of our relatives who are not so blessed. They didn't have that, yeah. So for them, it is a miserable existence. Mm. Nobody deserves that. Mm. And I think we should create an ecosystem where people can live a dignified life, a comfortable life in their sunset years. Mm. And I would definitely want to do something on that. Mm. So I got some lofty objectives, but yes. I'll work on every one of them. They're very entrepreneurial in nature, but obviously uh, to be executed well, we'll have to take masterful marketing skills, which you have. <laughs> I always think that having a job you love is one of the luckiest things in the world because Agreed. To, li to wake up every day excited about what you do and to feel like what you're doing matters and you're putting good in the world, it is a blessing to be a blessing. I agree. Totally agree with yes. you. <laughs> And I, you know, people talk about retirement. My goal or my hope is that, you know, I would be so ensconced with what I'm doing that I, I would want to retire. Like to me, that is a goal. I just a continue, just a continued evolution of learning, right? And, Absolutely. And it sounds like that's even though what you just described is has nothing to do with Mastercard. It very much has a through line of your skills and your gifting. Exactly. I don't know. In fact. Uh, a lot of what I do at MasterCard, mm -hmm. in a real sense, had nothing to do with MasterCard before, right? Restaurants. We were never launching restaurants around the world. We have four restaurants already today. And we're going to launch four more restaurants this year Wow! around the world. We launched fragrances for MasterCard. We didn't have them before. We dropped the music album last right. year. Yes. We didn't have that. We have done some other kinds of stuff, like starting a healthcare business. So I'm also at MasterCard, the president of our healthcare business. And I started this myself. Within MasterCard? Within MasterCard. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a, thank God, it's a very successful business, doing quite well. Mm. And it's growing pretty fast, one of the fastest growing verticals for MasterCard, which we didn't have. So I don't know if I'll be able to convince MasterCard to start a home for the aged 
Or a vegan clothing company. But we'll see where the future goes. Raja, I have enjoyed every minute of this conversation and this meal at Sama. I thank you for your transparency, for your willingness to be in the moment, which I think is the greatest gift you can give someone. And just I wish you continued success and thank you for your support of To Dine For. I thoroughly enjoyed it and thank you so much for the opportunity. I, I, this will be one of my priceless moments. Oh, thank you so much. Truly. Cheers to you. Thank you. Thank Cheers you. to you and namaste. Namaste. Yes. Indeed. Thanks for listening to To Dine For, the podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For, the podcast, American National, Lavazza, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.